welcome to Leaders Call to Adventure. I'm Lori Ferentz, and this is the show for those that take the road less traveled. This is part two of a conversation that I had with Frank Butterfield. I would really highly recommend that you listen to the previous episode before you listen to this one, gives it some context, as well as perhaps checking out a Shift Your Spirits podcast episode that I'm linking to in the show notes that really got this whole conversation with Frank started. Uh, I think it's probably useful if you haven't, but if you don't, that's okay too. This content definitely stands on its own. I feel it's probably one of the most profound conversations I've ever had. And I do like talking to people that have (laughs) profound things to say. So that says a lot. The information coming through Frank, I mean, for those of you that are familiar with Abraham and, uh, the work that comes through Esther Hicks used to be Esther and Jerry, but he's since transitioned. It really makes that material seem like very basic, uh, very entry level. And this is just a whole new level. You're going to hear things you've never heard before and maybe even gain a new understanding into how the process of creation actually works. Yeah, I know that's a pretty lofty statement. Um, but I think it's accurate. Yep, it's accurate. So do enjoy and keep a pen and paper handy (laughs) because yeah, you'll want it and you might want to listen to it a few times. looked at your website, thecommunionoflight.com, and what's the difference between creating with intention and where does it cross over into trying to manipulate the universe? At what point? Uh, When you start thinking about the really simplest way to talk about it is if-then. So in programming, there's a thing called if-then logic, Mm -hmm. right? Like if this matches this, then execute this program. But we use if then all the time. Everybody does. Like if I clean up my room, then I won't get in trouble. Yes. Right? Yeah. Or if I clean up my room, then I can have a cookie. Or if I don't clean up my room, I'm not going to get any cookies. It's very clear. So that logic is really, it's not hardwired at all, of course, but it's pretty, it's very prevalent. And, you know, if you watch television, advertising is completely, that's all advertising is. Yes. If you buy this, then you will feel better. Then you'll look better. Then you'll be taller. Then you'll be shorter. Then you'll be thinner. You'll be fatter. You'll be whatever. If you do this, then. So setting intention is deciding that there's no if then. This is simply what I have now. I have now the feeling of uh, the delight of having this conversation. And I'm in the delight of having this conversation right now. And that's the intention. And I may not be at this moment feeling delight from the feedback of the conversation, but my intention is, and now the conversation will begin to change and it will begin to shift and it will begin to arrange itself for me in order to demonstrate what it is that I have just established as being true, that this conversation is delightful. Mm. So, We do this actually all the time. What I like, what I, one of the things I like to think about is that we have lots and lots and lots of buffers. There's one sort of underwriting 
overriding. It's above, it's below, it's in the middle, it's everywhere. We have a very, very, very strong belief in permanency and consistency. Mm-hmm. So that's where like the law of gravity comes from is gravity shows you permanency and consistency that as long as the earth is spinning, then my feet will be on the ground. Right. Pretty clear. Pretty yeah. simple. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't have to worry about it. It's going to happen for me. Mm-hmm. So, but that doesn't mean that I can't learn how to stand up. Obviously I did. Most everybody did. Most everyone can, but that's, I'm pushing against gravity, but I'm using gravity as an idea that then I'm going to push against. Mm-hmm. But that law of permanency and consistency gives us a lot of room to play in with these ideas of I'm going to create this thing for myself. There's The reason why I'm talking about that is because there's this thing that just jumps out at me here in this conversation for some reason about sort of the Louise Hay, God bless Louise Hay, mm-hmm. but the Louise Hay idea of like you don't want to fuck up your manifestations. Right. Don't fuck up affirmations. So yeah. don't affirm this way, affirm that way, mm-hmm. which I consider to be kind of bullshit because the, it's not the words. It's the intention. It's the power. It's the feeling of it. And you can't mess it up. You can get feedback that you don't like and then change your mind about it. But when we're, and this goes back to trying to man, to manipulate the universe. If we're trying to get something to happen, and then it doesn't. Mm-hmm. We just assume, oh my God, I fucked up. I, right. I can't. Yes. I, I don't yeah, what did I get wrong? Like, what did I, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Or, or it's not favorite. for me. How about that? It's not for me. Well, that one I kind of like for myself mm-hmm. personally. Maybe it isn't for me. Mm-hmm. But I'll know if I say it isn't for me. If I feel bad from saying it, mm-hmm. then, then that's not true. If I feel relief from saying that, then it is true. Right. So if you feel bad about it, it doesn't manifest, right? What no. then? What comes? What? What after that? If you feel if you feel good but about it, it, it didn't happen. Yeah, but see, if you listen to what you're saying, I, it, it, you know, and I'm going to speak a little harshly here, so if you bear with me, mm-hmm. if you listen to what you're saying, you're just you're doing more if then. Mm. If I can feel the right thing, then I will get my stuff. But see, the problem <laughs> is that you're putting yourself in charge of getting your stuff. Uh huh. Which isn't your job. That, and this is where I'm. I don't know that because I, I don't really pay attention to what anyone else is doing. So I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else is talking about this. Yeah. But I do know in my own work that there's a very constant theme that goes on and on and on. That's very clear. That says, look, you keep thinking if you do the right thing, if you do the right thing, then you'll get the results. And then what happens is you then, and again, I'm using you in a very general way. I get it. Then then you think that if you don't have it, that then something has gone wrong. Mm-hmm. But that's never the case. If you don't have it, you just don't have it. It's perfect the way that it is. And these are paradoxes. They don't they're not <laughs> logical. Because this is metaphysics and metaphysics is not logical. Because metaphysics t- is everything. It take I mean metaphysics is a word I use to just basically mean the com- you know the entirety of the universe of all that is and how it works. And one of the things that it does is it doesn't, you always are, or let me rephrase it. I am always standing on the leading edge. Always, 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 always. It's never, ever, ever something that has been missed or something that has been done wrong. 
I can draw that conclusion and I will prove myself right because that's how thoughts work. Explain that. Well, whatever you affirm, whatever you say, and affirm, let me not use that word, whatever you decide is true, you'll be proven right. True. Always. Mm -hmm. Thoughts mm -hmm. amplify. They don't do anything else. Mm -hmm. Because we're in, co in constant state of expansion. We are unconditional love manifesting. Unconditionally. So there's no fixing. Unconditional love doesn't require any fixing. And there's no correcting. Like the way, the way Paul, the, the voice that comes through me, the way they say it is, you, there's no trash bin in the universe. There's nowhere, you can't throw away anything. So people will come and say things like, how can I get rid of this? And they'll say, well, you can't get rid of it. But what you can do is allow it to evolve. Mm. Because the other underlying idea, besides this idea of permanency and consistency, which is an imposition that we're doing, we're making, the rea we're making physical reality do that for us, which is fine. But the other part of this is that everything everywhere in every way is helping us. We're never adrift. We're never at sea. We're never, we're never abandoned. We're never lost. We're never left because we're completely surrounded by all of creation, which I would say is all of my creation because I'm sitting at the center of this universe that is manifesting itself around me. And each one of us has our unique perspective and nobody lives in the same universe with, the, with any other person because everything is based on perception. So if I perceive it this way, that's my perception. You may not see it that way, mm -hmm. but we may be able to have a conversation where we more or less agree with it. What if, you know, what, what if you know your thoughts are creating an experience and you, and you want to change your thinking so you have a different experience? But Let is that, happen. okay, is that, Let but is that happen. still if then? Or is that still trying to manipulate the universe? Yeah. If you let the thought happen, because if you really pay attention, like if you come and sit down in the chair, mm -hmm. if you just are in the moment and you sit down and you're thinking, oh, I can see this thing that's unfolding, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and the way, but if you think about what you're really doing, what you're doing is you're assessing the past, mm -hmm. bringing it into the present, and then moving it into the future. Okay. So you think you understand what happened, yeah. what is happening, and what will happen. Uh -huh. But in fact, you don't actually know. One of the things Paul says that I absolutely adore is memory is not an object thing that's sitting out there. Memory is a constructed idea that serves the present moment position. Mm. There, you don't have any idea what actually happened in the past. You have no idea what's going to happen in the future. You have intentions. And generally, if you notice, that is generally what happens. Again, but the noticing of it even requires you to tap into the past, to bring it into the present, to look into the future, and to measure it and to look at it evaluatively and say, okay, well, this is what I wanted and this is what I got, and I have more than what I wanted. Mm -hmm. But if you begin to notice that what you're doing when you're asking yourself, why isn't this working, or how can this thing that I don't want to happen that is obviously inevitably going to happen, how can it change, how can it stop, how can I get rid of it? Mm -hmm. The fastest way to do that is to stop and sit in the chair and allow it to happen in you as it's going on. Mm. You just allow it because, you know, vibration is everything. The, con the construct, like the physical pieces that we put together of how our physical reality works is the least part of it. But yet we treat it as though it's the most important thing. What Paul says is it's the end of the line. 
it's where everything ends. Of course, things don't end, but what they're saying is the physical reality, the, like, you know, the sound and the, the taste and the flavor and the texture and what it feels like to your hands and, and on your skin and what you see, this is the end of the line. This is where the manifestation occurs, but it's the effect. The real essence, the cause is in the feeling. And you can actually feel anything if you're willing to. And you can actually allow, if you're afraid of something that's about to happen, you can actually sit there and allow it to move through you and have the fear in the chair without doing anything, saying anything, talking to anyone, saying, you know, without taking any action. Just go ahead and let yourself have the fear. Mm-hmm. And for myself, I've really discovered that's, it's amazing what happens because you don't know where that's going to lead, but it always leads to something better. Can you give an example just to kind of ground and give us some context of a situation oh. like that? How long do you have? Um, <laughs> it's important. So, it's important to ground this because it's just like you're blowing my mind right now, right? So I need to get very practical with it. Well, the, the, pl- the place that I heard this about first, which is actually my favorite story. I, have, I mean, I can talk about myself personally and I will. I'll give another example for me. But the way I heard about it first was from my mother. She had a parking ticket. No, she had a speeding ticket that she couldn't pay. And this was when my sister, who's a lot younger than I am, uh, was like a baby. And, uh, and she, so my mother went to the county courthouse to kind of like see if she could deal with whatever it was. And it was like a Friday. I think that was the day that it was supposed to have been paid. And otherwise, uh, in Texas at least, she could have been arrested right then. Mm-hmm. So she sat on the courthouse steps and just kind of sat there and decided that she was going to be willing to allow whatever was going to happen to happen. So what she did is, of course, she was sitting there and actually letting herself feel the fear of mm-hmm. what am I going to do with my daughter and how is this going to work out and, you know, just all these, you know, I'm going to be arrested. And I don't want to be arrested. But she got willing to be arrested. <laughs> just so, like letting it be, whatever's going to happen is going to happen? That kind of idea? Yeah, but not, but not, but that's not it. That's not it. Not, not letting anything that's going to happen. No, because see, that's still, you're still projecting into the future. Ah, so what she was doing is she was very, now I'm putting words into her mouth and she might disagree with some of this, but I know from my own experience, this is probably what it was like. Uh-huh. She actually had the fear on the steps, mm-hmm. which included the projection of the idea of being arrested and maybe losing her child and getting into lots of trouble that she could never get out of, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. So she had all of that. And then something else happened because that's just energy moving through. Mm-hmm. On the back end of that, she had peace. And so when she had the peace and it wasn't if she was willing to feel the fear, because if you've ever done this, you know, you're not thinking about what might happen later. You're just in it. Mm -hmm. And if you actually allow yourself to have it as it is happening, the vibration, the feeling, it shifts, it will change because the only problem here is ever resisting, trying to get rid of it. That's where all of the problems arise out of. So she, so she got up, went in, inside the courthouse and the woman behind the counter who she had talked to on the phone several times and who had been very court or very curt and very short with her was apparently having a really good day all of a sudden. 
because my mother walked up. She says, my name is blah, blah, blah. And the woman's like, oh, we've talked on the phone. It's so nice to finally meet you, blah, 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 blah. How are you doing? And then my mother was like, well, I don't really. And, she, and the woman's like, no, 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 don't. Just come back on Monday. Just come back on Monday. <laughs> okay. And so by Monday, my mother had the money. And she went back to the courthouse. And the woman was like, oh, I'm so glad to see you again, blah, blah, blah. And she paid the ticket. And off she went. And everything was fine. Mm. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. That's, and you can extrapolate that to almost anything. But what I've discovered for myself and what Paul talks about a lot and has kind of coached me in this, I guess would be the best way of putting it, is that the willingness to feel the fear or the anger or the sadness or is where all of, that's where all the relief comes from. That's where all the change happens. Hmm. And you can do it just sitting in a chair or sitting on the courthouse steps. You don't, you, it doesn't require you to do anything. You just, be quiet and feel it. And something will happen because what they keep saying is all we're doing, all we're doing is just flowing energy. That's all we're ever doing. It looks like there's stuff going on, physical things. But as I say, like that's the end of the line. That's just, that's the manifestation of that feeling. But where everything is dynamic, where everything can change in an instant is in the feeling. And if you're willing to have what you don't want to have, it will change. It's amazing, 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 amazing. You're willing to have what you don't want to have, it will change. It will change. It will absolutely change. It may not change instantly. And sometimes what I've noticed for myself is sometimes that willingness is like there might be, and I I don't want to get too bogged down in process because this really isn't a process. You're just really just paying attention to what's happening. (laughs) But what I've noticed for myself is that sometimes it's like I have this upper layer of like, these are the things that I don't want to happen because I don't want to be embarrassed in front of other people. So first I have to be willing to have those things. Then I discover, oh, there's something else underneath it, which is like, maybe just as an example, like I'm unwilling to face the fear of the fact that this might cause this other thing to happen. And then there's something below that. But it's never terribly complex. It doesn't always happen in a couple of minutes, although I have seen it happen very, very quickly, where I'm just sitting in a chair I'm, you know, or driving down the road or sitting on the courthouse steps or whatever. And in the willingness to feel bad, I start feeling better. Mm-hmm. It's not unlike grieving, really. I mean, I, as I mentioned to you, was in Florida uh, for a few days from the weekend and People were telling me, oh, you're going to Florida. Oh, you must be going on vacation. I said, no, actually, I'm going to the celebration of life of a very dear friend. And their mood goes from, oh, vacation to like, oh, so sorry. And I felt, yes, there will be grief. There will be tears. And it will be good. And I'm relating what you're saying to that as well, is that knowing I mean, I didn't know the extent of what experience I would have there or what the circumstances would be or even if I would even if I would have the deep conversation that I would like to have with my friend's wife, who's also a very dear friend. And prior to going there, um, finding out about his death and, and all that, I got very attached to being a support to her. And 
I think her husband was guiding me from beyond in this whole process because what I learned and what I learned going down there as I'm on the airplane and not even knowing if my if I'm going to make my connection and if I miss that connection which actually happened uh am I going to get on the only flight that will get me there on time and I had to be in the space of not knowing if I would or not and being okay with whatever it was. So is this similar to what you're talking about? Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And, you know, to me, one of the, if you really, 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 truly want to have a deep awareness of this, the best place to do that is in a place where you are absolutely out of any way of having any control, like being on an airplane. Right. Or dealing with the law, like my mother sitting on the courthouse steps. Yeah. Like you're not, there is, you have no semblance of control. There's, you have no capacity to exert control because mm -hmm. it's an airplane. You know, you're not flying the plane and it can only go as fast as it can go. And you have no idea what's, you know, you're not up there. So you have no idea what's going on. You're just sitting in the chair, right? Yes. And so the most powerful thing that can happen is you just realize, you know, this plane is going to take me to the right place. And I'm going to get there at the right time. And these things are going to happen in exactly the right way. And it's all going to happen very well. And I think we have a lot of trouble. Well, I can't speak for anyone else. I have a lot of trouble sometimes in saying this out loud, but I know it's always true. Everything is always working out for me. <laughs> always, 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 always. But also always working out for other people. <laughs> and I don't know how and I don't know why. And that's none of my business. My <laughs> business is to just actually say it the way that it is because I'm very powerful like everyone else. And I can, because of the way thoughts work, because they amplify, they don't correct, they amplify. If I'm sitting there saying, oh my God, this is going to work out, I'll start getting evidence that it's not working out. Right. But if I start saying it is working out, it, I start getting evidence. And when I work, say the word say, I don't mean blah, 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 say. I mean, if I'm holding that idea, and, but I, but the other thing is to get out of the manipulating the universe job, Yes. but I don't want to hold it really hard. I just, when the thought comes to me, this is all working itself out. It's all working itself out because it is all working itself out. And that's actually always what has happened. And even like I was in an earthquake one time and I remember having this very, very clear motion, notion that even though I was pretty convinced that the building I was in was going to collapse, I knew in the moment of that awareness that there was nothing to be afraid of in the moment. What I was really afraid of was the next second. Mm -hmm. That actually changed everything for me. It was a huge eye-opener. Because I realized, yeah, fear is about projection. It's never, nothing is ever going wrong in the moment. Maybe the next second you're afraid, like, oh, this piece of furniture could fall on me because that's actually one of the things that did almost happen. Right. And it's like, well, if it does fall on me, then I, I guess I'll know what to do. But I mean, I wasn't thinking in those terms and I just was like, Oh my God, you know, like, would you please stop shaking? It would be really nice if this would stop. Um, but, but in the, but in those moments, there was just this brilliant clarity of in the present, everything is always working out. It's the projection into the future and then disappointment with the past. Disappointment. It gets, gets mm -hmm. everything all sort of like, if only I had made it to the airport earlier, or if only the pilot had like taken off at the right time, or if only there hadn't been a thunderstorm, mm -hmm. then 
we would be on time and everything would be working out. But do you have to, I guess, let go of your idea of what things working out is? <laughs> well, yes, but that is the thing. That's very, that's, no, that's exactly right. Because everything is working out for me is an incredibly broad general statement. Right. Of which I am not put, making any inputs. So if, yeah, if what I'm doing is trying to take a logical path through metaphysics and say, God damn it, this is the thing I'm going to have, and I'm going to meditate, and I'm going to focus, and I'm going to affirm, and I'm going to write 27,000, you know, affirmations on paper, and then I'm going to burn them at midnight under a full moon, <laughs> et cetera. I'm going to do all these things that I'm going to make happen, make happen, make happen. Yes. It, will, it, it might very well happen. Mm -hmm. But my experience has been, and I'm exaggerating a lot there, but my experience has been that when I've done that, I can make things happen, mm -hmm. but I never get what I really want. One of the, again, God bless Louise Hay, but one of the best examples I have of like, I used to call it mismanifesting, but that's not what it was. Mm. I There was a job that I got many, many years ago that was a dream job. Like I went from zero to 60 I was never overwhelmed. That job, I knew exactly what I was doing. I walked, but I had no, I had no prior training. I just walked in. They handed me a whole bunch of cash out of nowhere. It just all these things rained out of the sky, and a, a lot of that happened because the several months prior, I had been doing these kind of ritual affirmation, visualizing, all sorts of different things, and. And when it happened, I like the way the whole thing happened, like I knew the job was coming and people around me were beginning to freak out. They were like, you need to get a job. And I was like, nope, I need to be here because this was a long ago. And I was like, I need to be here for when the phone rings. I can't go anywhere, mm. which upset, uh, upset several friends of mine because mm -hmm. they were like, you're going to like, it's terrible. You can't do this. And I'm like, no, no, this is, I just wait. And sure enough, the phone rang. It was exactly the right person. <laughs> I got the job. It all worked out. And the people I worked for were nuts. <laughs> okay. And, and it was in a very personal setting. It was like a very intimate working environment. And, and it was a great job. It, it had all these things that I wanted. But now, in retrospect, I can see that all the intensity that I had put in the, I need to manifest this mm -hmm. came through in all that mm -hmm. at any given moment back in those days, this was a long time ago. I could have said, if I had known to say it, if I had, if it had occurred to me, I could have easily said, you know, this is all working out. And probably what it would have happened is I probably would have been fired, which would have been great. <laughs> um, because considering the state I was working, the, the, the U S state that I was working in, it would have been great to have been fired because then I could have gotten unemployment. Yes. But it, but I was like, I'm going to stick to this. I manifested it. I'm going to stick with it. This is going to work out. I'm going to make it work out. No, 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 no. I left. What actually got me out of there was a hurricane hmm. because we had a hurricane. And then the people I was working for were just complete assholes about it. Like we're going to, they were doing exactly the same thing I was. We were where we were This without getting in all the details. We were where we were because the guy I was working for was trying to make an impression on some other people. And he thought that if we didn't leave, he could have bought a helicopter. Literally, he could have got, we could have gotten the Navy to come get us. It, there was no reason we had to stay there, but he wanted to show to these other people that he was worth joining their club, so to speak. 
And so we rode out a hurricane mm-hmm. right on the beach hmm. in this house covered in glass. It was unbelievably crazy. And when that was over, I was like, I, this, I can't do this anymore. Mm. This is nuts. And it's, it wasn't his fault or her fault or their fault. It wasn't anybody else's fault. I totally manifested that. But in retrospect, I wouldn't call that a mistake. What I would call that is I just got exactly what I put into it. And I never once allowed myself to imagine. And I'm really grateful I have the memory because it does remind me to do this. Mm-hmm. I never once imagined that I could just say, this is all working out. This is all this is all actually working out. I don't understand it. I don't know why I'm here. I just didn't then I just thought the my job was to be really persistent and to push hard and to make it happen. Right, right. And it just was horrible. Mm-hmm. So what and do I'm you really think about that? About you know, another thing that uh, I talked about with Slade that some you know, we just have to put the time in and so you know, a lot of the things we do, we just have to do it and this idea of perseverance and consistency and all, what do you think of that? Oh, I disagree. Okay, explain. I think I think that what happens is we do there's an organic thing that other people will call perseverance and consistency. Um or that I would call persi- uh, persistence and and perseverance and consistency if I saw it in someone else. But this is a thing that Paul talks about a lot. Um, We can use those words, consistency, persistence, perseverance, or faith, trust, confidence. What they say about those words is that you never directly experience them. What you have is sort of the rear view mirror awareness of them. Mm. It looks like that's what you did. But Mm -hmm. to me, those are cultural constructs. Mm -hmm. They're not necessary. Right. And, and I really don't sort believe that's... Sort of the work ethic came. idea, you know, you put the right, time exactly. and you get this. If then, if then, right? If then. Yes. If you do yes. it that way, then you get this. Right. But yesterday in a, a, a session that I had with a, a group, there was this really, this woman who is a, she is a healing practitioner and she, the thing that she does is amazing. It like, it will like knock your socks off change your life. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. And so yesterday, and she's been doing it for 40 years and she knew she was a student of the originator of the, of the technique. And um, so yesterday she was talking about how she wants to go to her students and say, you don't have to do all this hard work. And what Paul said was, don't tell them that, which is something <laughs> they never, they never, ever, ever say things like that. Okay. And I kind of was like stunned. I was like, what? What? Yeah. And, and she was stunned. Like what? Mm-hmm. And they said, no, no. Here's the thing. They said this this process that you're doing, this technique, it has three stages, right? And because they, I don't know anything about this, and they were just, I don't know where this was coming from. They were just pulling it out from her. Yeah. But they were saying it has three stages. It has you overwhelm the student with information, mm-hmm. then the student has a nervous breakdown, and then they finally get it. She said, yeah, no, that, that's actually a really good way to describe it. Yeah. And they said, yeah, because what it is is that nobody will voluntarily go into this process unless they think there's going to be a payoff. So they, so they're coming in charged and ready to go. And the, the reason why the process of the technique and the methodology works is because it's designed to do that. And they said, if you remember the guy that taught you how to do it, there was this light that was emanating from him all the time. And she said, oh, yes, it was very obvious. Mm-hmm. And they said, that's because he had already had the nervous breakdown. But of course, that's not what they meant. But just like you get that big, huge rush of overwhelm, and then you finally decide, fuck it all, mm. and then everything falls into place. Mm. 
But is that the surrender? That. Is it like getting to surrender, really? Is it right? And, yeah. And it's like there's something about that technique, and again, I don't know even know the name of it, but there's something about that technique that actually sort of triggers a crisis to actually cause that to occur. And the crisis isn't like, mm-hmm. like it isn't. Um, oh, what is his name? The guy from the seventies. It's not like locking you into a room for 18 hours without letting you go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. whoever that guy was. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, it was the very 70s. It's like, and they made a movie about it, actually. Um, uh, Est, Warner Earhart. Mm-hmm. Like, he, that's what he did, is he would trigger a crisis. He would lock you into a room and force you to, like, sit there and confront and deal with your shit. Mm. And the magic of that, to the extent that there was magic there, was that it would trigger a crisis, which meant that you had to finally let go. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I wouldn't re- I mean, I wouldn't recommend this as like, I'm going to uh-huh. up with this kind of process. I, there's no way I would do that or suggest it. Right? Uh-huh. Oh, isn't that interesting? So we could also, I mean, we can extrapolate this. And if, if we are experiencing a lot of crises, crises, <laughs> crises, I don't know. <laughs> yes. In our lives. Yes. That that could be basically a part of, getting us into a state of surrender? Well, I would say that there is a constant invitation to surrender that is always present. Mm -hmm. And sometimes because of the cultural constructs, because of what we learned, which if we go into deep metaphysics is what we taught ourselves, but anyway, because of what we learned, there that crisis is necessary, mm-hmm. like to finally like burn it off. But of course, it doesn't just happen once. Yeah, it it's probably a continuous thing, probably forever. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that Paul would say: like, if you're willing for this to always be like this, mm-hmm. it will change. <laughs> but as long as you're trying to get rid of it, as well, long as you're trying, like, because there's plenty of and I'll, I'm using this term very affectionately, there's plenty of new age people who are like, don't want to ever have a crisis or no drama, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, peace Which, all the time. Go to the mountain, just be in peace. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then they get to the mountain and they have like the 300-year flood. Uh-huh. So because they bring the stuff they're trying to get away from with them. Oh. Because like, I don't want to be in conflict. If you're willing to be in conflict, you probably will never be in it. <laughs> But if you're pushing against it and trying to make sure you never have it, you are going to get lots and lots of it. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, res- that's how resistance works. Because resistance amplifies. All thoughts amplify. Nothing corrects. Because there's nothing wrong. So, but I, I kind of want to go back to the question that kind of triggered all of this, which yep. is the idea of persistence and doing the work. Great, great. Mm-hmm. So... Slade would like bitch slap me, (laughs) but I really, I, from my own perspective, I can't do that. I'm not saying no one else can or no one else should. I can't do it. Mm. And I've given the the best example I have, though the best, the two best examples I have of what happens when I'm persistent, I gave. It's when I had the corporate job and then when I had that other job before. And that was me being consistent, being persistent and doing the work and mm-hmm. showing up. Mm-hmm. And it was miserable. Mm. I'm not saying I shouldn't have done it, but I'm not going to set myself up to do it again. Mm. And 
although it looks like I'm being very persistent and consistent and, and persevering and doing the work, I'm not. I get up every day and do what it is that I want to do. Mm. I am. That's all I ever do. I mean, no, no, no. That is what I do more and more of. Just get up and do what you want, whatever, like, what's that about? You just ask yourself, what do I feel like doing right now? And you do it? Well, well, I just pay attention to where my attention, where it is that I'm flowing, where it is that, what it is that feels better Mm. in the doing, not what, and this is a big thing. And we get back to, we're still talking about the same thing over and over again. I love this. But (laughs) what, what that really is about is not figuring out how I will feel better later because I did this. If then it's not an if then it's not an if then it's what I feel better in doing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doing, it can't be the to do list. And it's same, like, if I, if I do this X, Y, and Z, then I can't do that. Right. 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 Um, I, I have a client that Paul talks to a lot about to do lists because she is like the, the queen, the empress, the like empress of all the world of, to-do list. <laughs> mm-hmm. She has like the master to-do list of all the other to-do lists. That's it, it's like that. Yeah. And she has had up one side and down the other running arguments with them mm-hmm. about to-do lists. And they'll just basically say, we, we've said from the very beginning, from the very first time you brought this to the table, that we would suggest you take a piece of fire, a piece of uh, you, that you've burned them, that you just get rid of them, cut them up. But if you can't, if that's not what you want to do, if you just think that we're, you know, talking out of one side of our mouths, so to speak, then what we would suggest you do, this is what they say, what we would suggest you do is that you let them help you. At least let them help you. Let them help you instead of you being in charge of them. Because everything functionally, functionally is here to help us. Not just like us, not just intellectually, not just like as a that's a really nice idea that's a good theory no functionally everything is literally here to help us and so even a to-do list which seems like it's running because this woman has said like it's running my life and they'll say well then cut it up and she's like i can't that's like you know cutting off a lot a, a finger mm-hmm. like i can't do that mm-hmm. and they're like okay well then let it help you and then they've gone in you know and she's very much at peace with this i mean it was just at the beginning though when she was kind of like I want you to tell me to burn it. And they would say, okay, then burn it. She's like, but I can't, Uh you know, and then she decided, okay, yeah. And so now it is, is, well, she doesn't talk about it anymore. So I'm guessing either she got tired of arguing with them about it, or she just decided that it was working for her. But like I, I used to have to do lists and I, I do to do lists if I have a little project, you know, just to get things out of my head and put them on paper. But even those things I'm beginning to realize I don't need to do. Because intuition will always bring me the right thing at the right moment, at the right time, in the right way. That's what I'm really talking about. When I say I'm doing what I want, what I mean is I'm just following my intuition. Which, again, never warns because there's no correction to be made. It just affirms and it expands and it is more. It just becomes more. I don't know if that makes any sense. It does, but what if you feel inspired to do something, you start it, and then you go into blank brain? What does that mean? It's go do something else. Mm -hmm. If I was being logical and I was trying very hard to get it done, that it would be, it would be a problem. It would Mm -hmm. provoke a crisis. Right. right? But since I'm not really in the job and I'm not in the business anymore of accomplishing anything, then (laughs) 
I just show up. And, it, you know, it does sound like I'm like I'm walking around with like Birkenstocks and like truly. <laughs> but I'm not. I'm just like, this is just. And that somehow you have all this financial freedom and you just don't have to worry about it, right? You can do whatever. Right. <laughs> but, and the, you know, you know where the financial freedom comes from, though, is my willingness to be broke. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is I about a year and a half ago, I started writing novels. And. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm doing a year well. and a half ago. Yeah, you you have a lot of novels out, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I do. That's because I'm a channel, so uh-huh. I know, and I've been channeling my entire adult life. Uh-huh. So, like, all of a sudden, I was aware of the fact that I could just plug into a story, and there it was. Uh-huh. Now, it wasn't like exactly like that, but I had the desire to do it, and then it happened, and then I began to realize what was happening. Yeah. But what one of the effects of that has been that I have a I get royalties every month, Mm -hmm. which suddenly is like having a paycheck, Mm -hmm. which I really don't like. Mm. And, um, uh, and you know, they go up and they go down and they're generally going up, which is really nice. And, but what I've begun to realize lately is it's nice to have that there. But one of the things that it's, that has, that has happened is it's brought me back, not brought me back. I don't want to say this. I realized I still had the thought of like, there will eventually be something that will save me, like winning the lottery or having a really big royalty check every month or selling my books to the, you know, to Sony or Amazon or somebody like that for them to produce into TV series or movies. And then I'll have the big payoff mm-hmm. and I'm still looking for that. I'm waiting for it. And it's giving me the opportunity to remember, no, I have the payoff now. I, I have plenty of cash right now. And the financial freedom I have is my willingness to be broke. Because if I'm willing to be broke, I'm not actually pressing. I'm not pushing for anything, which then allows things to happen. And I notice, like, it, when I when I set up a new, you know, workshop or when I'm doing something with a communion of light, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, who's going to sign up for it and how much are they going to pay and how's it going to work, which is logical, mm-hmm. but it's not really helpful. And when I finally stop doing it, all of a sudden people – Pay. Hmm. It's all like within like seconds or minutes. Just I'll be like, I don't, I'm not, I, I, I'm tired of thinking about this mm-hmm. because my the other really fabulous thing is my tolerance for pain is very low now, which I'm really happy for. Um, so I don't like I'm not willing to sit in pain and like wonder and worry and figure out and deal yeah. with the hassle. And so things begin to happen. So what do you do when what, you when you start getting a taste of that? Right when you start getting a taste of that energy. Do you just go do something I, I, else? Um, usually I just take a deep breath uh-huh. and and just start telling myself what's really going on. This is all working out. This is all working it's out because it is all working out. and Or something similar to that. Mm-hmm. Um, just whatever it is that feels easy to get to, whatever is better. Mm. Because, you know, what? what's almost impossible is to, is to reach through the Internet and pull credit cards out of people's wallets Mm -hmm. and force them to sign up for something that I'm selling. Mm -hmm. That's like virtually impossible. Yeah. Although I have, I think I I did one time meditate on that. I had like a visualization about something like that and it felt really awful. Like, no, 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 I don't want, I'm not pulling anybody into this. Anyone who wants to play with me can come play and it's really easy and it's fun. And if you like it, great. And if you want to stick around, great. And if you don't, that's great too. But, what I've noticed is that if I really, I mean, this is, for me, this is just, 
I can't even believe I'm going to say this out loud. Although Paul says it out loud for me in, in conversations with other people. But one of the things I've actually learned how to do is to stop paying bills as soon as they come in as a reflexive, but to only pay a bill when it feels better to pay the bill. Hmm. And now there's no logical reason is that I can ever tell from one thing or the other, but like, I'll be like, okay, it's time to pay the, this, you know, this phone bill and I'm reaching for my wallet and I'm like, and I can feel my energy going down. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm not going to do that. Even though <laughs> it, I have the cash, there's no reason not to do it. Hmm. And used to what I would do, and this is very subtle and it's very silly. There's nothing terribly gigantically big about this. But what I've noticed is that like, there's plenty of cash. There's no reason why I can't, but it just doesn't feel right. And I used to say, well, okay, we'll just do it and get it over with. Yeah. But I don't want to do that anymore. I really, what really works for me is to just let things unfold and happen. And I'll know when it's time to pay. And then it'll be really clear. And I will like not be able to keep my fingers away from the keyboard. Mm -hmm. Like, and I've had that feeling many, 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 many times where it just becomes the obvious thing. But the only reason I've had that feeling is because I was willing to not do it. How can you tell between I'm, a, I'm avoiding paying this bill and it's not time? Well, I don't care because if, I mean, that's a really easy thing for me to say here in this conversation where it's just the two of us and, you know, 5,000 of our closest friends or whatever, but I really don't care if I really think about it. Sometimes I will worry about it. Like, oh, I'm just avoiding that. I need to stop avoiding it. I need to allow it. Blah, blah, blah. Like, no, I don't need to do anything. But I'm <laughs> noticing these ways of like pressuring myself to get it done. That really, I don't know for anyone else, but I know for me, doesn't work. Mm -hmm. What does work is for me to say, oh, if I'm avoiding it, I'm avoiding it. It's okay. Okay. I, yeah. Everything changes. Paul went into a long, long, long mm. conversation a couple of weeks ago about how um, everything is temporary mm -hmm. and everything is very like fluid. And we, because we're looking at, you know, I'll at least speak for myself because I'm looking at, the firmness of like, there's the floor and there's the ceiling and there's the window and there's those trees. And these, those trees have been there for 40 years and they're going to be there for 100 years. And this floor was built 70 years ago and it's not going anywhere. Permanent, permanent, permanent. No, they're just as fluid as anything else. They just look permanent because I have a belief in permanency. Hmm. And they serve my purpose. Like I do really actually want this floor to not just dissolve into nothing. Yeah. That would be really nice if it would just stay the way that it is. Yeah. I don't have to worry about that because it's working for me. Mm -hmm. So the floor will continue to maintain its floorness. <laughs> but the idea of like, I shouldn't be avoiding something uh -huh. comes from the idea of I've got to get really clean because I need to be really good and I need to be right. a really smart. Right. And I need right. To have, on Monday, set up my little study group on Tuesday and, oh. Wednesday, and Thursday, stayed up all night. That's what really good, smart, very wise people do. Uh -huh. And when, when Paul first showed up in the way that they showed up, one of the things that they said to me was, when you start saying to yourself, everyone knows, immediately stop and say, wait, what the hell are we talking about? Because everyone knows, at least for me, is one of the like ways in which I regiment myself. 
Not, I don't know what everyone knows. I just assume this is what everyone does, and I should probably do the same thing. Like, I should pay my bills as soon as they come in just to get them off the table because everybody knows you don't have the bills sitting around thinking about, well, when am I going to pay them? But what if what you're doing actually is letting the universe, letting intuition say, this is the right time to pay the bill, mm-hmm. and knowing that it will, you'll know exactly when to do it. And if you're mixed up yeah. between the avoidance and intuition, then don't worry about it. <laughs> is that it? Right. Yeah. Right. Because the bottom, bottom, bottom line, the really simple thing is if it feels worse, it isn't for you. Mm. And avoidance, the idea of I'm avoiding this actually is a thought that feels worse. It doesn't feel better. And that's the really, that's, uh, we did a workshop a long time ago called Red Light, Green Light mm-hmm. about don't go on a red light. And a red light is something that feels worse. A green light is something that feels better. And it's very, very, very simple. Now we can make it really complex and we can like extrapolate all sorts of things out of that. But on it, at, at the very basis of all of this, this intuition is really powerful and it's always there. It's never gone. It's never missing. I may be ignoring it. I may be like not paying attention to it, but it's always present. And I always know what the green light is. Always. And there's no yellow lights and there's no like, oh my God, road closed ahead. Mm. There's never anything like that. It's just either go in this direction because it feels better or go in this direction because it feels better. Yeah. And don't go in this direction if it feels worse, but you can still go in that direction and it's not going to kill you. And you can always change your mind because I've loved some of these really long conversations that I've had with people um, and how someone will come and say, I can't, I, none, I have no options that feel better. And they'll say, okay, that's fine. Which one's the most obvious? And they'll say, well, there's nothing obvious. Okay, which one's the easiest? No, there's no easy one. Which one is the one that you think is the least worst? They'll say, oh. <laughs> they'll say okay, we'll do that. But then they'll say, but, but stand behind your choice. Because, and I love, love, love this. I love this. Because they'll say, if the worst thing you can do is to do something and then claim you're being forced to do it. Uh-huh. which means you're, you're trying to give away agency to someone or something that doesn't exist. No one and nowhere, no how, no matter whether it's at the end of a gun or you know, in the most dire circumstance, no one is forcing you to do anything. There would just maybe things that are easier to do or things that are more obvious, and those are different words they'll use for intuition. But if you think that there's none like that and you just pick one because like, you got to do something, at least stand up for yourself and say, I'm choosing to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. I don't want to do it, but I'm choosing to do it because that at least puts you back in the place of agency where yes, you're still actually moving forward. And just because right in this moment, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. Doesn't mean you'll not know it in the next moment. You don't really know what's going to happen in that predictive logical. I've got to figure this out. I need to have this worked out. I need to have this sorted out because I'm going to get in trouble eventually when someone comes and asks me to show my work, which is uh, my theory is what most all of us are doing Hmm. is trying to be ready. and, And for different people, it's different things, but the teacher is eventually going to call on you. Your parents are going to eventually figure out the stuff that you stuffed into the bottom of your closet. Hmm. Eventually you will be found out. But the truth is, is nobody cares. No one is looking. And if someone does show up and is looking, there's something helpful in that, even if you don't like it. <laughs> because everything is working out. 
because everything is always working out and there is something helpful. And it can be as simple as just saying, I don't really know what any of this is, but I know that something is happening here that's helpful and I don't know what it is and I can't even begin to imagine what it would be. And I know that sounds terribly simplistic, but what I keep finding is that the complexity is actually just something we do in order to like pass time. Hmm. Because nothing, nothing is terribly complex. Everything mm. is actually simple. So we make it complicated. Right. But, and it's not, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we were, at least I was taught to be clear, to be able to understand something and to be able to construct it back in a complex way. Like, it's not enough to know that three times two is six. Right. Then I need to be able to figure out, like, well, if I multiply six times itself, that's 36. That's really called a square. But if I have, so if I have 36 and I need to find out where it came from, then I can unsquare it and find out that it's six. Mm -hmm. And then I can break that, you know, and I can do all these things with all these different numbers. And yes, if I was going to build a space rocket, that would probably be really helpful. But in actually walking through my life, even if I was a space rocket engineer, they're still very basic, very simple, very easy things that are immediately available. And the complexity is almost always having to do with physical reality and how it's assembled. Like building a spaceship or baking a cake. And as Paul would say, and that's where you want to use logic. Logic is very helpful there because it follows consistent patterns and you're expecting physical reality to have consistent patterns. Mm -hmm. But logic is terrible for self-analysis and for awareness and for evaluation of who I am and where I am and where I'm going. Or what to do next, except or, if you're uh, actually well, baking a cake and you need that logic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, and I have a recipe or I have a memory of like, this is where I cracked the two eggs. Yeah. Or, you know, or this is, or I've once again got to that part of the recipe when I realized, I, God, I hate making cakes from scratch. Let me go get this box out of the cabinet, yeah. you know, or whatever it is. And it's okay. Yeah. Or when you realize, I forgot to actually turn on the oven and that cake has been sitting in there for like three hours. <laughs> I wonder if I could actually safely eat it now. <laughs> you know, it's like whatever it is that happens is actually going to be okay. And which kind of, to me brings up the, the most significant thing ever, at least for me personally, being willing to be wrong is probably the most significant thing that's ever happened for me because I have, I was raised to never be wrong. Mm. For there are lots of really good reasons why I should never be wrong when I was a kid. Those very tied into survival. And being able to sort of be two steps ahead of everybody else and figure out what the hell was going on and know what was they were thinking and what they were feeling and being able to dance around that and then not show up in a way that would upset them. And I think a lot of people have that skill. As an adult, where no one is standing over me anymore, it's not necessary. It probably wasn't even necessary then, but that's what I did, and it's okay. Yeah. And that's what they did, and to be honest, and it's okay. And it's okay. Yeah. And I didn't like it. I don't like it now, but it's okay. Mm. And, and, you know, these are all just the same We're just These are all the same words for the same thing. Like, everything is working out. All yeah. of this is handled. It's all sorted out. It's, there's not anything to do by me, but there's tremendous great desire for action, for words, for thoughts that are rising up and constantly available. 
I think this leads us into the point that I maybe can close on here, um, if that feels right. Uh, on your website, you have this sidebar, reminders, and looking at your life living in the chaotic universe versus living in the intentional universe. I had it in my head, you know, to, to ask you questions on every single point in here, but... <laughs> But, you know, it's funny because that actually is all we've been talking about. Yeah. Because the the chaotic universe is a constructed universe. It doesn't exist. There is no chaotic universe. But in order, because we believe, because essentially the basis of all of this conversation, like where the resistance comes from, the resistance comes from attacking ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because we're creating this reality. So if we don't like something and we're trying to get rid of it, we're just attacking ourselves. Oh. That creates the idea of a chaotic universe because it is chaotic. It will, it will create unexpected results, which of course, the point here isn't to get expected results. That's, that's not the point. The intentional universe, which is the universe that the chaotic universe resides in, mm -hmm. the intentional universe is what's always actually going on. <laughs> and so the shift between the two is really a shift in perception. Shifting from the idea of none of this is working out for me and I'm under attack and I need to deal with it. I need to handle it. That's chaotic universe thinking. Mm -hmm. Back to this is all working out for me. Where do I want to go? What do I want from here? What's rising up? What feels better? What's simple? What's easy? What's obvious? That's the intentional universe. And the intentional universe is the only one that exists. It's the only thing that's going on. But we can intend and actually create an idea of living in a chaotic state. But none of us would do it consciously. But we have done that. And mm -hmm. so we walk around protecting ourselves from the unwanted, which is what I was talking about earlier for myself personally. Right. And then coming up with, oh, go ahead. It was something also that I wrote down when you said, when you say you have what you want, like what do you mean when you say you have what you want and you want everything you have? Oh, That's funny. I haven't heard that one in a while. Um, yeah, it's I have what I want. I want what I have. It basically, what it's just a statement of alignment. It's a statement of what's actually going on. I do have what I want, and I do want what I have. I can create a story in my head, and I can begin to sort of project that out and then get some resistance on it that says I don't have what I want. Mm -hmm. But I actually do have what I want. But I'm not stuck. But what I want is not a static thing. Mm -hmm. And what I have is not a static thing. These things are in constant expansion. They're in constant motion. And what I want from this moment is maybe not going to be the same thing as the next moment. And as that evolves and as that expands, as I'm just allowing these things to happen for me, things get better. Hmm. Not in necessary logical, oh my God, I demand it happen in this way because that's what I need in order to feel better. If then. Hmm. But just all is well right here. And I do have what I want and I do want what I have. That was, I think it was, I think where that came from was about five or six years ago. I was in the, it was like at the lowest point of the lowest point. I was fine, but I just had like kind of run my course on how I'm going to fix and manipulate and handle and deal and manage. <laughs> and, so, and so someone else, like it was in a workshop and someone else asked a question. And it was like they were asking the question for me, which happens a lot. Um, but they just basically, you know, whatever it was they said, 
Paul's response was, why don't you just say, I have what I want and I want what I have and stop resisting what you have and say, well, I don't want that. Just stop resisting it. Just, I have what I want and I want what I have. Mm. And what will happen is it's, it doesn't stop everything. It, most people assume that means like, now I'm going to just stand here in this placid plateau place that's very flat. No, what that does is it actually liberates thought. Mm. It lets things begin to move and you begin to notice the movement. It's not where you end. It's where you start. But does so, it help you realize like how, like the, like parts of yourself that no. want your situation, how it is? No. No, that kind of an you can do it if you want. I mean, I, I just speaking for myself, mm -hmm. you can do that if you want to do that kind of analysis. Mm -hmm. But what's the benefit of it? What are you going to discover? How broken you are that, that you wanted it that way in the first place, and that's how you fucked it up and got there. Is that really? I mean, that's not really true mm. because everything is always working out for you. So how could that possibly be true? If I'm not broken, that means I've never made any, like when I was talking about the, those jobs, I don't like them. I don't like the memories of them. I don't like what I did. I don't like what I said. I don't like what other people did. And I don't like what other people said, mm -hmm. but it's okay. It's okay that I don't like it. And it doesn't mean that any of us did anything wrong, <laughs> which is a paradox. It is a paradox because what Starhawk, do you know who that is? Yes. Okay. In her, there's a book that she wrote, uh, a a novel called The Fifth Sacred Thing. Mm -hmm. And the character that sort of is her stand-in, who's this very old woman because it happens in the future, says to her granddaughter, like, you just, you want what we all wanted back in the old days of the 90s. You want to be on the upward white trajectory, the white light that just is a constant, constant ascension where you're constantly moving away and moving away and moving away to something better and more glorious. And I think there's an, that was, when I read that, I remember thinking, oh my God, that I'm doing that constantly. I'm constantly trying to get out of where I am, yeah. get over into this place that's so much gloriously better. Mm -hmm. But if I really stop and just realize, no, actually what I have right now is exactly right. And part of that for me is being willing to say, and I really fucking don't like what's going on. <laughs> But it's still okay. That's paradoxical. Culturally, it's paradoxical. Because we're not supposed to be okay with things we don't like. We're supposed to fix them. Right. But if thought doesn't fix, if it doesn't correct, then what are we going to do with that? Other than just jaw on it and gnaw on it and sort of chew on it like a cow chewing its cut. That's what it's like. Because I know for years, I mean, I, I, I don't do this quite anymore. I still have things like this that I do, and I probably will until the day I die. But... I used to have like this kind of litany of like cud things that I would chew on <laughs> like, the time that that person said that thing to me. Yeah. And I would just like constantly trying to get through it and around it and fix it and change it. And of course it never went away. Now I can't even tell you what most of those things were. I remember doing them, but I don't remember what they were necessarily because I, for whatever reason, decided it was okay that that happened. It's okay. So we're fighting ourselves a lot. Yeah. Well, we're taught to do that. Yeah. You know, the, one of the things that Paul says, which I think is really brilliant, there, there's two little suggestions they give. They're like, the next time you're in a grocery store and a toddler on aisle three is throwing a fit, mm -hmm. go stand on aisle four and listen and feel it. Hmm. Because what that toddler is probably doing is they're in some way, shape, or form saying to their parent, 
I came into this reality and everybody was goddamn doing everything I wanted them to do. And then when I turned two, you stopped doing it. Mm -hmm. What the hell is up with that? Mm -hmm. I want that doll. I want that bag of marshmallows. Why the hell aren't you giving it to me? A year ago, when I wanted to eat, you gave me anything I wanted. Why are you not doing this to me anymore? Which is, you know, any child psychologist would say, well, that's, children have to go through that. They have to discover. You don't get everything you want, even though that's actually how they came in. Mm -hmm. That's how they showed up. They got exactly what they wanted. Exactly. And Paul will say, like, the most powerful people on the planet are newborns. Because they're in total alignment with themselves. They don't give a fuck about anybody else. And they want exactly what they want in the way that they want it. And they have no skills. They have no capacity to talk. They have no capacity to stand. They can't write a letter to their congressman. They can't send an email. They can't gripe about it on Facebook. They have no capacity to do anything. Yet they get literally everything. And the more time goes by, the bigger the hospitals get, and the more amazing the technology is, and the better it is, the better it is, the better it is. They're constantly getting more and more and more. They're the most powerful people on the planet. And so what they'll say is like, so go to aisle four. Don't go into aisle three and don't watch it. Don't look at it, but listen to it. And you're going to feel the misery and the, the, and the feeling of abandonment and the feeling of shame and the guilt of like having done that to your mother because you'll be like, I was a mother. I was a father. Oh, my God, I know exactly what this parent is going through, but I also know what the child is going through. And they're saying, if you let yourself have that, it can be very transformative because you begin to realize all of the ways in which you're treating yourself like you're a three-year-old and you want to sort of give you the marshmallows and the doll and the anything, but then on the other hand, you want to make sure that you're a really good person. And that's all that that parent is doing on aisle three, is trying to teach their child how to be a good, civilized person. You don't throw a fit in the grocery store. And you can't just have a bag of marshmallows because you point to it and go, uh, you don't get that. And of course, the child, having been a master manifester for all of their life, suddenly being told no, is throwing a huge fit. But the reason they're doing that is because, and this was where this, first, this topic first came out, is, is Paul said to somebody one time who had a baby, said, or a small child, said, how do you feel when you say to your child, if you would please sit down and be quiet, I would feel better? Like, I've got a headache, just sit down and don't say anything. Yeah. And the woman said, I feel terribly guilty, but also incredibly relieved when they do it. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, you just taught your child how to do that. And they said, and that's okay. Your child knew you were going to teach you that, that you were going to teach them that. But don't worry about having done it. But don't, you can let yourself feel guilty if you want to. But you're doing the best you can in that situation. But pay attention to the other stuff that's underneath that. Because one of the things that you're going to begin to realize is that you can actually have this amazing interaction with your child where you don't have to tell them to sit down. They will just be quiet when you're ready for them to be quiet. And you're not controlling them. You're not manipulating them. You're just deciding it's okay. And when you're okay with them screaming and yelling, they'll probably stop. Yeah. Wow. Because children, particularly small children, are you know they know everything that's going on. They eventually forget it. Or they eventually sort of put on enough blinders to where they can't hear it anymore. Or they don't pay too much attention to it. But they know what we're thinking, you know, those those little tiny babies who are doing all these amazing things and can't actually do anything. It, it's astonishing. And I just, I love that idea. Okay. Tweaking something here for me because I have a preteen son. <laughs> and uh, it seems like 
Look at he's, Ooh, he's learning how to manipulate the universe, right? Yeah. And he's wonderful. Yeah. He's wonderful. But it's like, whatever I want to tell him to do, he wants to do the opposite, right? And yeah. <laughs> it's, I feel it. I feel like he's trying to, it, it's like a ch his challenging me, you know, it's, 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 yeah, and my need to control what he's going to do. Um, well, you a, know, there's... It's a closed it, loop. It doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> it's just... Well, you know how you break that loop is you have, you know, and we can have this conversation. You're not there with your child. The child is not walking down one of the rails of a, of a train track while the train is coming down the track. So no one is going to get hurt. Yeah. I, I'm saying that because of what I'm going to say next. But you have to be willing to let him... I'm not, I don't know. This isn't me. This is Paul. You have to be willing to let him fall flat on his face mm -hmm. because that's the only reason you're trying to control him is you're trying to make sure that nothing bad happens to him. Yes. And as long as you do that, you're going to get what you're getting, but you don't have to. And you know, the other thing, what's really interesting is it seems like, like you said, it's a closed loop, but mm -hmm. the way Paul will talk about it is that it's like a seesaw. Like you've either got like, I'm completely in control or, Oh my God, he's running down. You know, he's got forks in his hand and he's looking for an outlet to put it in. Mm -hmm. That's it's either one or the other, right? Mm -hmm. You're either completely controlling him and he's completely safe or he's running amok. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we, and we've all internalized this. We all believe because if you really go and you know this probably from your own personal experience, the deeper you go into the understanding of what I call metaphysics, you begin to realize how terrified you are of running amok. Mm. Well, that just goes back to when you were, you had a fork in your hand and you were looking for something to put it into. And someone swooped down and said, don't do that. Which of course they were supposed to do that. Like you don't want to put a fork in an outlet. That's not a really good idea. Yeah. But on the other hand, you did get the idea of like, I could run amok and terrible things can happen. But when you begin to sit and you feel he could run amok or I could run amok. I could run amok and be a terrible parent or he could run amok and do something terrible and get hurt. And then I would feel terrible because I didn't intervene. If you sit and feel that, you know, and again, this is coming from Paul, but like what they would say in that instance is we don't know where that will lead you. We're not suggesting you take any action on that. We're just saying you might want to sit and feel it because you know, you you never will learn as much about yourself as you do with having a child, mm. because they're just like here's what you're like, here's what you're like, here's what you're like, Absolutely. here's what you're here's yeah. what you're like over and over and over mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely Paul because I don't have any experience of that. But that's definitely <laughs> <laughs> very clear mirror. Yeah, and the the and the issue isn't that they're mirroring your badness or how you didn't get it right or how you're messed up. They're mirroring what it is that you want that you're not letting yourself have. Mm. Because you think that there's only one way to get there, and that's the way that you've predetermined that you're going to control and fix and figure out and manage and handle, except that you can't do any of those things. <laughs> you don't, and you really can't. And again, a child will tell you very clearly, you are not in charge of this at all. As much as you think you are, you are not. And you can either, well, again, that's a seesaw, but you can either do this or you can do that. But the point is that you actually can just sit there and allow yourself to feel the tumult of it yeah. and find what's on the back end of it. Yeah. That's a way, you know, it's not the way, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's no the way, mm -hmm. but you know, yeah, it's, that's powerful stuff. It is. 
Wow. We could talk and on and on and on and uh, I've made notes and I don't, at this point, I'm just trusting that what we've talked about is what we needed to talk about or what's, you know. Well, me too, because yeah. I have no idea what we talked about. Been, <laughs> so, they've been pretending to be and me. This and I'm just time. throwing my notes out the window, you know, I'm not going to review and say, did we get to that? Did we get to that? No, I'm good. I'm complete. <laughs> good. Hey. Yeah, I know it feels like the it feels like the end time. And I can't believe I'm looking at the clock going it feels like we've been on the phone. Well to me it feels like twenty minutes. That's yeah. how I know I haven't been here. Yeah, and it's been almost two hours, so this is definitely gonna be a double episode thing again. <laughs> like, I just like, you know, okay, I'm doing the single episode thing and then it's like with Slade, no, I gotta cut this into two and now it's like, Okay, Frank, I guess we're cutting this into two. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and I'll listen to it, and it'll make sense exactly where that's going to be. But uh, this has been wonderful, and I I can't wait to listen to it again and again because I think I'm going to hear different things that I did the first time through, and uh, have a feeling it'll be like that for other people too. So, are, are you are you still recording? I, I am. Yeah, but I can shut it oh. off. Yeah. No, 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 no. And okay. what I was going to say is, there's this thing that's pegging me, and I, let me. Though it's pinging at me, that let me just throw it out there and see if you want to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, a couple of days ago, I was at a Starbucks and I met this couple, just out of the blue, who are traveling, and one of them is a blogger that writes about the best places to hike, and the other one is a vlogger, video logger, mm -hmm. uh, who is writing about what it's like to be on the road, mm -hmm. and they were telling me about how they have this drive to produce content. And she was really overwhelmed by it. And she was like, you know, I can do this for like four months. I try to do a post every day. And then, you know, and then I get overwhelmed and I have to stop. And then he was like, yeah, it's just like, you know, we, to get 20 minutes of video, it takes like three hours to produce that. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, it's interesting because I write a book and I write a book every month and sometimes it's more than one book. And they were like, oh, my God, how do you do that? I can't imagine doing that. And I said, well, it's interesting because I can't imagine doing what you're doing. <laughs> I said, but the thing that I'm getting in this is, like, there's this drive that isn't obsession, but there's this feeling of, like, producing content that isn't just empty space. It's, it's you know, everyone produces content that's specific to them if they're then handing it out to other people, selling it or offering it, whatever you're doing. But there's this drive to produce content that's, when you plug into it, it's really sweet. And I feel like that's what I'm doing, but I also feel like that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That's why this is two hours long. Yeah. That's why with Slate, it's, or it's two, mm -hmm. two podcasts. It is. Yeah. Because you seem to be plugged into producing content. You want to produce content, and it's coming to you left, right, and center. And so you get these people who will not shut up like me. <laughs> But because it's gold, what you're saying. I don't want to shut you up either because it's great. Everything you're saying is amazing. Well, and, and that's that, that's wonderful. I can't wait to listen to it because I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> but I did want to throw that out there because I, I, that was very – I realized I have a desire to produce content. Yeah, I do. I do. A good and, good content. Yeah, whatever yeah, that yeah, is, yeah. you know. Yeah, whatever that is. And <laughs> yeah. only you can define that. No one yeah. else knows what it is, yeah. but only you know. 
Yeah. But it just, you know, it's amazing then what that does, what that pulls through you and these amazing things that can happen. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, as I say to people when I'm teaching them how to channel, you have to be the primary beneficiary of whatever is coming through you. Mm-hmm. If you're not the primary beneficiary, it's not going to benefit anyone else. Mm-hmm. So I love the fact that you love what you produced here. I because, do. Yeah. And I have no idea what we talked about. <laughs> but, it just is, you know, it really is true over and over again. I can't, I could not write these books that I'm writing if I didn't like the what I was writing. I'm writing them to read them. Yeah. Cause I don't know what I, they just come to me. I don't, I'm not plotting or anything. Yeah. And, and I got that feeling from these, this couple, like the producing the content, one of its benefits was that they could go anywhere they wanted to in the country and people were quite literally paying them for it. <laughs> yeah. Perfect, 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 perfect. Mm hmm. Anyway, that's what I wanted to throw in. Thank you. I really appreciate that reflection. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. And it feels it feels right. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> well, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, I'm just glad I went with that impulse, you know. It was really when when um when Slade said to me, you know, we can't ask Frank because he won't have any idea, right? I just thought, no, well, he might have an idea. I want to ask him. <laughs> well, but, you know, Slade was actually, he was joking. I know he you was. Know. Yeah, 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 he was. Yeah. <clears throat> but, yeah. Because, but was, like I said to that guy, like, you just hand me a microphone. I don't know what's going to happen, yeah. but something will happen. Yeah. It's yeah. fun. Yeah, but it was the seed, you know, and it, it, it's like that yeah. process where it's like, wow. I mean, the whole thing of how I'm talking to you now, uh, I'm not going to explain it, but it's interesting, you know, it's interesting. Well, how, how, do, that all how do you unfolded. know Slade? Um, I somehow got familiar with his work. I wrote this blog post uh, before <laughs> before the interview, actually, but somehow got familiar with his work. I think probably paths had crossed um, because of Morgana Ray. And then, yeah, and then um, I think I just started reading his blog and really loved his paranormal memoirs and the way he was, it's just, he's a great storyteller. And uh, he just drew me in with that and just been sort of kind of following his work, you know, ever since and loved when he uh, launched his podcast because the voice that I heard in my head is his voice, you know, <laughs> stuff. so yeah. 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 And I just, yeah, he's great. He is. And I think he's, I, I don't think he sees himself this way, but I think he's one of the most generous storytellers I've ever come across. Generous storytellers. He's a very generous because he doesn't, he lets the story tell itself. I don't know how he does what he does. Yeah. I, really, I don't, I have any insight into his process, yeah. but my feeling is when you get pulled into one of his stories, you just don't want to go. That's so true. You feel like you're and right it, there. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it, it's like, he's, he's just handing you nugget after nugget after nugget. If you get a chance to read his book, storm chasing, I think mm-hmm. that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Is his first novel. Okay. Um, I think because he and I are the same age and he was going to UGA University of Georgia, same yeah. time I was going to University of Texas, and yeah. a lot of the things that he was describing about having been there, because that's when it's set in the 80s, yeah. is very similar to when I was going to college. Right. We're so contemporary, too, because of a lot of the crossover with Slade and I as well, because of the generational thing, right? So we're, we're all in the same area in terms of age. 
Right. Yeah. But it just, that story though, I was like, I could feel myself in it so clearly. And that's the way I've always felt about his writing Uh because there's some things that he writes about that are not interesting to me. There's nothing wrong with them. They're just, it's not in my arena. Yeah. But when I'm pulled in, I'm Mm -hmm. just like, I feel like the rain falling in the desert is happening. Yeah. He was basically, uh, how do I put this? He was getting me to tell the story he wanted to hear. <laughs> and I don't mean and I don't mean like structure it the way he wanted to hear it. He said, I've always wanted to know what your backstory was. And that's why we did the interview we did. Okay. And I and I've told that story thirteen gazillion times, but I've never said it quite the way I said it with him. Mm-hmm. Um it was more uh it was it just was very different. And I could feel like because he's a very strong will, which mm-hmm. I actually adore. Yeah. But, but I could feel like his will of like, this is my podcast, and this is how this is going to work. And he was right. And I would <laughs> have to go along with the ride, because I was like, yeah, I love this. Yeah. And then the part where, the, that part that he's talking about where I don't really remember, but I, you know, have listened to it, but where, where uh, Paul came in, um, when he was started asking me about, more about metaphysics and less about my story, that part was just, so sweet. Uh-huh. I mean, for me as the person who was observing it as it was happening, it was so like, and again, that was one of those, like I thought it had been 15 minutes and then we, it was like 45 minutes or 50 minutes and we were done. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, no, but yeah, he's, he's, um, well, as I said, he, he's, he really helped me a lot at the beginning well, not the beginning, but at the beginning of the middle. <laughs> I don't know how to put it. Yeah, but yeah. He, but, he, he, but again, his generosity. It just was incredibly generous what he did. So, and I'm not talking about money. I mean, I, just his like willingness to kind of sit with me at my level where I was and be willing to look at it from that perspective and say, here's what I think will help you. And he was absolutely right. I have no idea what he said. I don't remember anything about that conversation, but I know that everything changed as a result of it. And I know he has that effect on other people. Yeah. I think I can remember. I think I know what you're talking about because you talked about it in the interview, right? About, like, am I going to go crazy if I, if I oh, do Oh, yeah. This? That's what it was. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. 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 What does it mean to be a channel? Do I have to give up myself? Right. That's what the whole point was. Yeah. 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 And then just, yeah, the way he pointed it out that you know that that's one thing and then you do that and then, you, yeah. Exactly. Very clear. Yeah. Wow, it's just great. I'm so glad that, uh, that yeah, that, that this happened. <laughs> Yay, me yeah, too. Yeah. And, this was uh, wonderful. It was. It really was. And, yeah, I just, I followed that, that thread, you know, and I was like, this guy is cool. And, hey, <laughs> you are. <laughs> you are. So. Well, thank you. And yeah. so are you. This was just so much fun. Yeah. So delicious. Thanks for tuning into this episode in my conversation with Frank Butterfield. Yeah, it was delicious and so much fun talking to Frank. Despite my many moments of complete mental overwhelm when I thought my brain could short circuit (laughs) from what was coming through. But very useful, very helpful in so many ways. And I know it's going to be one that I treasure and go back to. 
and I hope it's the same for you. For show notes for this episode, you can go to my website, www.leaderscalltoadventure.com forward slash 11, number 11. And there I link to some of the resources that Frank and I discussed in the conversation. 